Welcome to the Drop-In CEO Podcast. I'm Deb Coviello, and as the Drop-In CEO, I drop into businesses and assume the CEO role to mitigate crises and help teams get back on track. This podcast is about helping the C-suite leader to navigate challenges with confidence. For today's leader, I'm here to help you get back on track. Tomorrow's leader, let me partner with you to learn the secrets of the C-suite. Wherever you're at in your career, this is the podcast for you. Hello, I am Deb Coviello, founder of The Drop-In CEO, and I am grateful you've joined us for another episode where week after week, I find the most amazing guests who share their insights and hopefully inspire you. And if you love this episode, I do ask if you could rate, review, subscribe, tell others. We don't want to keep this a secret. This is an amazing resource to help C-suite leaders of today and tomorrow navigate their challenges with confidence. And today, I am so honored to have found and bring on to the show Carlos Fry, who is a technology entrepreneur and investor who has launched and grown successful companies in e-commerce, logistics, and IT services. He focuses, however, on the human element of management and leadership to create opportunity and build something great from nothing, always speaking to my heart. And through all of this experience, he has been able to help clients bring their digital products to fruition. And I can't wait to get more into his backstory. Carlos, welcome to the show. Thanks, Deb. I'm glad to be here. It's a pleasure to spend a little time with you and your audience today. Thank you, Carlos. And again, to my audience, the reason why I brought him on is I periodically do bring people on that really focus on the entrepreneurial and innovative space. And while I know a lot of you out there do work within companies, there's a lot of innovation that we don't necessarily tap into, even as business owners and entrepreneurs. It is a challenging journey. And knowing a resource such as Carlos and his teams may actually be the person you need to either bring your business or products forward. So, Carlos, I'd love for you to share a bit about yourself personally, your story, and about the work that you're doing now. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, for the corporate listeners, if we were to introduce Codexidos, our company, we would tell you that we help entrepreneurs and innovators design, build, and launch digital products. And the word innovator is in there because there are, and we have a lot of experience dealing with larger corporations who, they usually characterize it in a way that makes me smile. They say, oh, we're charged with bringing this product to market or you know, commercializing this intellectual property that we have in the company. We want to work like entrepreneurs. And all of our entrepreneurial clients are like, wow, it must be great to just get a regular paycheck and a steady, steady budget and all that other sort of stuff. So I guess the grass is always greener on the other side of the fence. But my background is uh, I'm an Ohio boy and I grew up in Northwest Ohio and went to the University of Michigan. Shortly well, actually, at, right after I left the University of Michigan, I started my first tech company. And that was a long, long time ago. No internet, no networking so in the late 1980s. And uh, it's been fun. I've enjoyed it. At this point in my career, I've done just about everything except an IPO. Never managed that, but did venture capital, have bought companies and sold companies and flopped companies and all that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. But I never never managed an IPO. We, we missed that when the first dot-com window closed. We were getting ready to do an IPO, but the markets changed their mind. We didn't do that. I'm sort of in the glide path of my career with the company I have now at Codexitos. And, and we're a product development company that, that works with the kind of people that I 
spent my life being, which are entrepreneurs and innovators, people that are trying to build something. We're having a lot of fun with it. We're an international company, which is, has been quite an experience. We, we have people through the Americas, so the United States, Central America, South America, big distributed team. And so that's got its challenges. And the other thing, you know, Deb, I was listening to some of your podcasts. I catch them when I can. And there was one where I think, I don't remember it exactly, but a project had sort of gone off the rails and the team was, oh no, they missed a certification deadline or something like that. Mm -hmm. And the team was really dispirited. And it reminded me a surprising percentage of our clients come to us with what we call broken projects. You know, they've started a product and maybe it's too buggy or it failed when they took it to market or their development team locked out or something and they're like, please help. That's a whole different paradigm. And when you have to jump into a broken promise or a broken dream and try to get it back on track. First of all, thanks for the plug for the podcast. I do appreciate when people listen and give me feedback. And <laughs> I, that was one of my experiences where despite all of the best intentions and the work, we missed the mark, didn't get the certification out of the gate. But oh my, that team was motivated. Three weeks later, we got everything buttoned up. We got that certification. And I'll tell you the following year, there were no non-conformances when they were up for recertification. I love working with companies that have that can-do attitude. But let's come back to you. Forget about me. Let's talk about Broken projects. I mean, why do businesses wait so long to come to you with broken projects? Shouldn't they be coming to you at earlier in the product development cycle to leverage your expertise? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, software, software is tough. I was talking to, uh, we had a, a new hire cohort this week. And so I always spend some time with a new team. And I was, I was talking to them about the what I've found to be the hardest thing about software for most managers, CEOs, owners, entrepreneurs, they wouldn't understand the code if we showed it to them. So uh, our business is really based on trust. So Deb, if you came to us and you said, hey, I've got this idea for, let's take something simple. It's this mobile app and it's going to do this thing and you're going to wave your arms around and you're going to tell us. And you're going to have the business concept, you have your go-to-market strategy, you have all of those things. But if I say, well, what language do you want me to program it in? You're going to go, I don't know. And so what happens is you, you have to have this extraordinarily high level of trust in the team that you hire to execute this project. And I feel sorry for my friends in like marketing agencies, advertising and marketing agencies, because everybody looks at the storyboard and they go, wow, that's the wrong color. Make it this color. Everybody becomes a marketing expert when they see it. But you can't do that with software code. And you generally can't do it with hardware. We do hardware, IoT devices, as well as software. So back to why these projects fail is we take out any bad intention here on people's parts. And you find out that the engineers are saying, no, no, I got it. I got it. I'm just a couple of days behind. I got it. Don't worry. You know, you're a conscientious CEO and you're, you're saying, okay, I know I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. I'm going to let you go. I'm going to let you go. And eventually it just falls apart. In retrospect, we usually see the smoke signals, but that comes from experience. And a lot of people don't have experience in failed projects. And so it's this self-fulfilling I don't know what the right word is, negative prophecy, right? So it's like, I trusted them, I trusted them, I trusted them, I can't go anymore. 
So when I'm curious about this, again, we would love to have you early in the innovation process to set teams up for success, hardware, software, et cetera, and be able to verify <laughs> to the CEO, yeah. we've got this. Okay. But what are some signals? So let's just say he trusts his team that's built on trust. But what right. should they be looking for to know if things are going off the rails and they're not going to meet the product launch expectations? Because again, hopefully they would bring in somebody like you sooner, but what can they look for in the new product development process for which they can start poking holes, asking questions and gaining more insight? Yeah, great, great set of questions. So a few of our our hot list recommendations and we, we actually talk to people about this. I mean, some people want to have their own internal development team. Some people come to us and they want that gut check. And we're happy to do that. So the first thing is make sure that your technologist is grounded in the business problem they're solving more than the cool technology they want to use. Mm. People in my industry become enamored with the latest fad and buzzwords. And we could say things like chat GPT and and uh, that would be uh, topical today, but it may or may not apply. Uh, the real, real issue is to make sure they have a grasp of the business problem they're trying to solve. If they don't, it's a problem. If it's like, oh yeah, I get it, but they spend more time talking about the gee whiz effect, then then that's a signal. Missed deadlines are signals, and not because you're trying to be demanding, but just like any project manager, it's like, wait a minute. We used to call them smells and, you know, this is a smell. It's, it's a bad smell. If we miss the deadline, is the work organized? Can they demonstrate even pieces of the product working early? And then the last thing, and it depends on the team size you have, but we watch all of our projects. There are three indicators that we use internally. And one of them is the team health. So is the team happy? And Projects that are distressed have unhappy teams, which is kind of a fact. So there are three indicators that we score all of our projects on. We do this every two weeks, is financial and timeline health. The second one is, is the team happy? And the third thing is, is the client happy? Is the person who's expecting this happy? And we literally call this report the happiness report. <laughs> and we, we, we red, yellow, green it. And so, of course, the client or the product owner in our, so if you're an internal team, the boss that's signed off on this concept might be angry, but the team says, no, I understand it. And yeah, we're on time, but there's some discomfort from the product owner or the client. And that's okay. But if that's a red box or a yellow box, then the people leading that project need to know they get it green. So over the years, sum it all up. However you score this in red, yellow, green, it's, is my customer happy? Is my team happy? And am I tracking to the budget timeline that I set out? And if you do that every couple of weeks or at least every month, depending on the length of the project, you've got a pretty good version of our happiness report. And what I really like about this is you've given them a pathway from trust, but being disappointed to trusting, verifying, and being more confident or knowing where they need to step in and course correct. So really, really actionable. I, I appreciate that because I'm now working with a client right now in a technology space where there's heavy project management and deadlines for everything. And sometimes we may or may not be successful in delivering the product. So really, really helpful. Now, I just want to understand a little bit more, again, 
code Exodus. One, I want to know more about the origin of that name. And then the second question I'm going to come back to is, but I want to understand exactly how do you and your business drop in and support companies. So tell me more about the company name. Well, the company name Code is, you know, we refer to programming languages, code. So we have pages and pages and piles and piles of code. Exitos is a Spanish word, and it means success or hits. So, you know, Willie Nelson's greatest hits, he's a good Austin guy, I love Willie, you know, would be, instead of greatest hits, they'd say Exitos. Oh, cool. So that's, it's, it's as simple as that. And the domain name was available, and it kind of had a combination of English and Spanish in it, and we liked it, and so we rolled with it. Oh, beautiful. How we drop in for teams, well, I guess we've really touched on the three modalities. One is that someone comes to us, clean sheet of paper, and says, I have an idea. I need to make it real. It's technical in nature. It requires hardware and software, or combination, or just software, or just hardware, can you help me figure out how to make this real? And that's kind of our classic entrepreneurial modality. Our clients are typically, they have some seed funding and then they go through, you know, they might start with friends and family or, you know, personal net worth. Then they'll get some professional investor money. Typically today we call that a seed round. Then they'll have a bigger round, you know, the trajectory they're on if they're getting outside funding is they'll have an A round. And then our engagement model starts to change as they become A round funded and B round funded because they start to build their own internal team. So initially, we're everything. So we help them design it, conceptualize it. But we recognize that as people get traction and their business grows, it only makes sense for them to build their own team. And so we help with that. Innovators typically come to us with a bigger team and they're like, hey, we're inside of Ford here, for example. I worked for Ford in the past. They're not a current client to be transparent here, but they came in and they said, we have a lot of smart people. We're just not used to like this sort of hustle. Can you help us with that? And so then we worked along with them to change the game, if you will. And then the third modality is the one we just got done talking about. People come and say, hey, I have some form of a disappointment or a failure or just a, we sometimes call them dumpster fires. And I need to, I need to get it fixed. I'm in a jam. I need to get it fixed. And so that takes a little bit of different discipline. Before I forget the thought though, Deb, I, I want to go back up just a minute to the happiness report. So with your project team, you get the three indicators, you know, the client happy, the timeline of budget happy, and is, is the team happy? But if you really want to be radical with this idea, you open it up and you let everyone involved with the project look at the score. And it gets pretty crazy because the product owner will see, you know, the, the, let's say the client will look at it and say, well, why did you make me green? I'm not green. I'm yellow. In fact, I might be red if I think about it. Everybody's like, whoa. And so our team internally generates that through a collaborative process. And then they publish it out for everybody. And it, it sort of forces intellectual honesty on all the actors. And, and then the good news is the owner says, I'm not green, I'm yellow. And here's why I'm yellow. And now the team knows exactly what they need to address for the next iteration. And so the idea isn't to get anyone in trouble. It's to get everyone in the, ha that's why it's called the happiness report. We want everyone to be happy. 
it's clearly alignment of perceptions because I think it's not necessarily sometimes the product that you're delivering, but the internal dynamics sideways and up down that are simply not aligned. I even remember working with a client right now. I thought I was supposed to achieve one objective, but I found out there were different stakeholders involved and they had different agendas. And I had to get that sorted out before we could actually move forward with the task at hand. You know, it's interesting, and, and I'm so glad you brought that again. Appreciate the 360, the transparency of that. But I wonder then how much of your work is setting them up for success for developing that particular technology and bringing it forward to working a little bit on the mindset of the people and getting through things and get being transparent and honest and having conversations. Is that part of the work that you do or is it just the tech and the project management of it? It's a big part of the work and it's actually a big part of our, call it our sales qualification process. Someone asked me one time what the distinguishing characteristics were of our clients And I said that we work with people we like. And then I had a client one time ask me, why should, they weren't a client at the time, they were a prospect. And they said, why should I select you guys? And we could have talked about how smart we were, how great we are, how successful our projects are. But my answer is always the same. You should only pick us if you like working with us, if you like us. Because these are long, I mean, outside of our family lives, these kind of projects, our projects typically last anywhere from people will come in saying, oh, this is only going to be a few months. And I mean, we have clients that have been around for years and in any relationship that's that intimate, that detailed and that complicated, there are bad days to go along with good days. And you have to have some, some emotional traction to work through those things. And not everybody sees the world the same way. And we've had a couple clients where they had a different perspective on the value of transparency or 360 or whatever. And, you know, we, we tend to pick adjectives that reflect our value judgment. And we try to smoke those out early. And we're like, it's okay if you don't see the world the way we do. We want to know before we start, not after. And so... I may be straight a little bit from your question, but the answer is, yeah, it's central to what we do because it's a deeply intimate process, business intimacy, with our clients and ultimately for our team too. Life's too short. You know, you've you've probably seen in your experience, Deb, the team that's like, oh my God, I can't stand this project. My life is hell because of this work. I mean, who wants to wreck someone's life? I mean, that's that's all wrong. So We try to look for that alignment early. And that's why I appreciate your work, because when I was looking at your bio and getting ready to, you know, meet you for the first time, you know, there's, I'll say, a dime a dozen companies that can come in and provide technology solutions and project management. But that's not going to be very sustainable because what happens when they pull that entity out? You haven't done a service to the team and for the leader. And what I see is that you not only drop in, it's it's a trust. (laughs) You got to like each other because this is for the long haul. You build a relationship and share the good bad and the ugly while you're trying to develop the product. I think that companies are probably better off having worked with you because then they get this confidence and they can do the next one and the next one, maybe based on the stuff they've learned from you. We'd like to think so. You know, you, you have the title of the drop-in CEO. Um, We also plan to drop out. You know, we, that's, that's a natural uh, timeline uh, or, or maturation process for us. And what I found that's interesting is that 
if you're just open and you accept the fact that, hey, I'm here for as long as I'm valuable and then I'll go and I'll go peacefully and with kindness, the relationship lasts a lot longer. It, it, as opposed to maybe when I was younger, when you try to cling to the relationship and you're protective and you hide things and I'm like, hey, you know, it's it's okay. Change happens. You know, I've never heard of that expression drop out in this context, but I have to agree with you because I was in service to a client for a particular amount of time. And ultimately, I mean, I was their interim quality leader. They ultimately hired a full-time person within. And it was kind of bittersweet, but I had done my work and we had properly handed off to the new individual. But I will tell you, I now still maintain relationships with the individuals and the company. And that's fine. Again, again, my my network is richer because I also have friends from it, but you never know. <laughs> they might ask 100%. you to drop in again, but I love the drop out with race because it's all about those relationships. I wanted to take a moment to remind you that a recent study showed nearly 60% of leaders feel depleted at the end of the day. And this feeling is a key indicator of burnout and makes it difficult to lead and inspire others. If you've ever experienced that restless exhaustion, you know why CEOs are amongst the most likely candidates for experiencing job frustration. I wrote The CEO's Compass, your guide to get back on track, to confront those feelings and create a plan that is sustainable for you and your organization. I created a seven-point assessment that will help you figure out your problems in days, not months. And it includes so many resources, worksheets, videos, and much, much more. If this is you, please head over to my website, dropinceo.com and click on my products, the CEO's Compass and order yours on Amazon or other outlets. And now back to the conversation. You know, I was going to ask you about story. Maybe just if you could just give one example, because the, the reason why I want this example is because before we got on recording here, I know uh, several tech leaders, two out of three of them I actually interviewed on the podcast. What they do, they're either innovators or their offering is technology based. They're focused on strategy and things like that. But, you know, I would love for you to maybe tell a little bit about a story where maybe a leader's process or product was broken <laughs> and maybe a little mm -hmm. bit about the approach that you and the team took that brought them through that challenge? And then what was it like after you finished that work with them? Okay, I, I know one. Great little startup company. Uh, they're still a little company and that's okay. And they're in the electric vehicle space. And this was two founders and they had some angel money invested in them. And one of the founders was the tech guy. And he sort of went off the rails, got in over his head. We never quite figured it out. I actually got a 911 call from one of the investors that said, hey, we had to hit the eject button on one of the founders. And he happened to be the guy leading the software development. And nobody knows what was going on. And oh, by the way, we're in the middle of raising another round of money. I'm like, okay. Happy you called. Let's get started. So, you know, as you and your listeners can imagine, tensions were pretty high and, you know, there was a lot of collateral stress. I never met the, the, the guy who was exited. Uh, so I, I have no idea. We never bothered to figure out why. But certainly his co-founder was distressed. I never picked at that. The, the team was a little shell-shocked. And what we found was you know, if you, if you come in and you say, hey, it's okay, we're going to work through this. You don't need to make it worse. In their case, we found out that things weren't quite so bad. 
Hmm. And we pretty quickly developed a plan for moving things forward. The inbound investors, if you will, the new investors coming in were quickly reassured that there was sort of experienced hand at the wheel. Not me, by the way, one of our senior technologists. We've got a great team here. But but everybody's like, okay, we get it. Things happened and we caught it and we figured it out. You know, they, they closed the money as happens with uh, startups so often. The money, the new money coming in was contingent on closing a deal and the deal with a partner was contingent on the software working. So we had like this multifaceted set of contingencies and it all worked out. I'm happy to say that we've, you know, they've extended the relationship. We're continuing. They have more money coming in. Partners happy. The investors are happy. The team's happy. We got green lights across the uh, happiness report. So yeah, that was the capsule summary of that one. You know, it's interesting when I watch you share those stories, I see you go very retrospective and inside because you're also reflecting on those relationships and the good and the bad that you had to go on. But it's it's one of those things that I, you know, CEOs need people like you and I for which we can drop in and see what is or isn't working. And there's a calming effect. There's a reassuring effect that not only technically you can help solve the business issue, but help then the team navigate through the challenges, the timeline, stakeholder management. We sometimes need that again. And then that gives back some confidence to the CEO leader that, okay, I know I can rely on these people, but maybe I have to develop some internal competency as well as maybe have a little bit of more risk management so I can see, have a happy scorecard to know whether things are or are not on track. So you fulfill a big, big role within companies. Oh, thank you. I, I think that for our our type of work, we're a service provider. And I tell our team all the time that we we have the special privilege of getting many, many, many more experiences accumulated in our careers and our clients do. Our, the client I just described, that was the first time they had to build a product. And that's a scary thing. And it's a challenging thing. And if like you're learning on the job by definition, because it's one of one, what we have to bring to the table is a set of experiences that we can quickly filter through and say, oh, this feels kind of like this. And you're not alone and it's not unique and we can fix this. So let's learn and go together. So it's experience. What a beautiful business model code exodus and uh, Carlos Fry to be able to help entrepreneurs or innovative teams move forward. We could go on and on, but I'm just really grateful because I also am having an experience now uh, working with a client in a technology company and seeing the challenges and opportunities of product development. And it's just good to know somebody like you in case one of the CEOs I know or somebody listening might need your support. But if we could bring this to a close now, because it's been a great interview, any last thoughts that you'd like to share with the listeners? Yeah, one that has nothing to do with anything, but it's a mental framework that I'd like everyone to carry. So People ask me quite often, you know, and they ask you, Deb, and all the listeners, you hear this all the time. How are you today? How are you today? How is your day? You get that all the time. My answer is always the same. It's the best day of my life. And the reason I do that is because I want people see you had a little reaction there because you're not used to hearing that. It's like, oh, I'm fine. It's okay. Whatever. And the, the automatic response comes back. And so you're giving and you're getting a little bit. You get a little reaffirmation of your own. You vocalize it. You say, today's the best day of my life. I can't change yesterday. I can't predict tomorrow. So no matter what the CEOs and leaders are dealing with, 
you know, we deal with a lot in these roles where we have a lot of responsibility. Just try it. That's my challenge for everyone. Just try it. The next time the checkout clerk or the waiter or whomever it is says, how are you today? Take a beat, stop, and make yourself say out loud, it's the best day of my life. And see how that might change things for you. You might light up the world, make somebody smile, and leave a lasting impact. Thank you so much, Carlos, for that insight. You have made me smile when you said, it's the best day of my life. and it's the best day of my life having had this interview with you and hopefully our listeners will have benefited as well. I want to just thank you for dropping in on the Drop-In CEO podcast. I want to wish you continued success and be well. And thank you for being an amazing guest. Thank you. I enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to the Drop-In CEO podcast. I hope you are inspired by our conversation and can apply what you heard to your business or career goals. If you found this valuable, please share this show with at least one friend who will find it useful and inspiring. When you share this podcast, it allows me to continue to help C-suite leaders of today and tomorrow to navigate their challenges with confidence. To connect with me or learn more about the Drop-In CEO services, go to my website at dropinceo.com. And until we meet, I wish you well and much success.